This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Hello, everyone. My name is Benjamin Day. And I am Jillian Mason. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Mm. Now, we like to start with non sequiturs. I mean, with total sequiturs. So <laughs> just over a month ago, we lost Bob Barker, the man who taught us all about the brutal nature of capitalism, one pricing game at a time. But now, thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, the federal government is going to be playing a role in determining the prices for some of our favorite products. And we're not talking about cars or family vacations to the Bahamas. We're talking about the prescription drugs that keep us alive. So as the Biden administration enters its own showcase showdown with big pharma we're taking a full episode to break down that and uh you know sort of what that means whether the result will be prices we can actually afford so uh jillian do you want to introduce our guest yes our first and only contestant <laughs> is alex lawson and he is the executive director of social security works the convening member of the strength and social security coalition which is a coalition that's made up of over 340 national and state organizations representing over 50 million Americans. Alex's organization played a critical role in moving the Democratic Party mostly away from efforts to cut Social Security. And it's also been shifting the momentum towards expanding Social Security. Social Security Works is obviously also a key ally of ours in the national fight for Medicare for all. So Alex, come on down. Yay, I'm playing the music in my head. Hopefully you can um, put that in and post as well. I don't think we have the rights to that, but <laughs> That intro is either very confusing to people or gave everyone the warm fuzzies from their, <laughs> their memories of watching that well, show. I million, was so. actually on the Vegas version of The Price is Right, which is just like a no. showroom version, no. but they have the whole set built mm -hmm. on stage. Oh my God. I got... Announce Alex Lawson, uh -huh. you're the next contestant on the prices, oh right? I got to spin the big wheel. I have uh -huh. a photo of it. I lost. You know oh. what? <laughs> <laughs> no one loses when they spin the big wheel. I exactly. think I, I can say that. Yeah. That's a life yeah. goal. Yeah. Check that off the bucket list. You told us that you had a particular reaction when you were called to go down. Oh, yeah. And this isn't on uh, the radio. So when I um, camera went tight on me and I was big on the screens in the place and I just yelled, Fuck yeah! And then <laughs> went on down, uh, and I thought that was uh, pretty perfect. That's the appropriate family-friendly response. I was wearing a Sepultura t-shirt too. Nice. <laughs> was fuck yeah! Also, what you said when you heard about the Inflation Reduction Act's provisions. <laughs> so, I, actually, what I did is I took a camera and I went over in front of Pharma's offices while mm -hmm. the Inflation Reduction Act was being signed. So mm -hmm. during the signing ceremony, and I just interviewed people live in front of the building. And I was like, did you know that Medicare is being signed, uh, given the ability to negotiate right now? 
And they're like, no. And I'm like, did you know that the people in there, pharma, were spent hundreds of millions of dollars to keep prices high? Do you have anything to say to them? And mind you, this is at lunchtime. So it's all these people who work for pharma that I'm also right. asking. <laughs> and, right. and it's really obvious. And everyone mm-hmm. who doesn't work for pharma is like, oh, yeah, I got a message for them. Fuck them and their high drug prices. Right. Yeah, we got you. <laughs> and I was like, man, everybody hates pharma. So that was oh my, my version of jumping up. When I, I thought you were going to say you down. went over with cameras and captured their lobbyists jumping out of ten floor, ten, the tenth floor of the <laughs> building. I mean, <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't that dramatic for them. It was difficult for them because they're walking around in six thousand dollar suits, and they're like, "Did right, we lose? Right. Did we really lose?" Because look around. <laughs> but you could see they were like there was a dent in their arrogance uh, because they had literally never lost before. And it is, even though modest and we can be nerdy and go over the wonky details, going from no authority on prices to Medicare has authority and not only authority, but a mandate to find the maximum fair price, that is an enormous loss for pharma and something that they know it's just the start. Now we're like, why are we restricting it to some drugs? Right. Yeah. Let's go to mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. Why is it only Medicare? Let's do all payers, right? Like we build mm. here forever. All right. So just to back you up one second, Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself because we're going to get to all the good juiciness of the this drug price negotiation from the state. How did you like end up working at Social Security Works and where did you, you know, discover your love for Medicare for all? So my drive is based on the moral imperative, I think, of a preferential option for the poor, which means that in pragmatic solidarity, improving the lives of people is the thing that you do. And it helps guide my decisions after college. I did think that really like you, it was like you could be a doctor or a lawyer. And (laughs) so I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know which route. And then I was volunteering at a outreach HIV clinic as a, as a health educator, actually after reading National Geographic's article about systemic health inequality. And it was with migrant workers in the sugar fields in Florida. And it, it was about how holding people hostage with their health was actually one of the most profoundly (laughs) powerful ways that you could hold people in a form of like bondage. Because if you control their health, you know, you basically hold over them. (laughs) It's it's actually their health and the health of the people that they love. So that's what sort of... Which I believe happens in some marriages, unfortunately. (laughs) What... It definitely well, happens. Keeping your your partner's uh, family health plan keeps people in in bad marriages. What am I saying? But maybe oh, yeah. a strange analogy to make in that moment. But <laughs> you need to talk about something. <laughs> it's all. It's all. But that. I mean, I didn't get it either. And I'm like, I don't know. I was. But uh, same thing with jobs, yes, right? right? Job locks. Job lock. Yeah, yeah. And the ability for people to control using health. And, you know, I'm not saying anything new. Martin Luther King also talked about it. And this is all sort of obvious stuff. But I was young, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I, that, you know, this guide. So I, I was like, well, I'll volunteer in a clinic. And I learned really quickly this third thing, policy. Because uh, I, fi- I actually learned that I'm like, 
I wasn't going to be a doctor because I passed out at the sight of some, <laughs> you know, not just blood, but I was like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I don't think I have the <laughs> stomach for it. But I learned about policy. I learned that actually the creation of the laws is where we are, we are getting fucked by big money. If they can control, if they can write the laws, then they just make them work for themselves. And so I was working at, in direct services with clients and it's very difficult, very sad. It's where I also learned that nurses are like absolute heroes. I was like, um, just every day, I'm like, oh man, everyone should just go say thank you to nurses because it's just like, that's what you should do. So I, I watched people die or be harmed because they couldn't afford their drugs. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like drugs are pictures of molecules that you give to a manufacturing plant and they produce them, <laughs> right? Like they very literally low cost, right? they cost pennies. <laughs> yeah. The inputs to them are very cheap, right? We can go on and on, but it's literally pills cost pennies. Greed costs lives. And I did come up Ooh. in sort of radical HIV activism is where I learned a lot of my, you know, like advocacy. And so like the fact that we didn't have Medicare for all or some guaranteed healthcare in this country was like, it was so obvious that that's the first step, the predicate of like anything that we're doing that like almost, you know, every HIV activist, because HIV policy is very global. So there's a right. lot of public health activists that I sort of grew up with or educated myself with who come from a global perspective. And, you know, as we're talking, it's like the, literally the predicate of like how embarrassing it is that in, you're like, well, in, in the States, we don't even have health care. Like that's mm -hmm. not even one of the things <laughs> that we have. We have tanks mm -hmm. and aircraft carriers if you need them. And gold bars. Some of us have gold bars in our houses, which we'll get to later today. <laughs> and pharma will be like, why didn't we think of that? Um, so. <laughs> but yes, that's how I sort of got into it. It was through seeing the impacts with patients firsthand that the system was harming people. And it's like it needed system change. So I went and got my master's in DC specifically to dismantle pharma and build something based on public health. And I don't think we're dismantled it, but I do think it's like, we got like one chisel in there and you're like, mm, ah, mm, but mm. that's an important one. That first one, you're like, ha ha, I'm going <laughs> to keep on ripping down from there with a crowbar. So social security works grew like out of that, I can go through. I've, I uh, worked on the outside push for Obamacare, which, you know, is woefully inadequate, but I will always be proud of Medicaid expansion. I just will. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. That, you know, in pragmatic solidarity, we didn't advance the ball as far as, you know, we can talk about that on a whole other episode. <laughs> um, the, the president... At the time, President Obama was not in favor of Medicare for all at any level, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like he had his own push and tried to make it as good as possible. He also cut a deal with pharma, if you I remember. remember, yeah. It's, it's like, how far do we want our trauma to go back? Do we? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You know, like, real, real in. But that was one of my first exposures to DC politics in a real way. I just shifted over from like, 
working in a clinic and being, you know, a rowdy activist, like getting arrested in front of the White House every World AIDS Day, really using that avenue. And I'm like, oh, well, let's try this policy stuff. How dumb can it be? And like, let me tell you, uh, it was like <laughs> the second week. They were like, right. oh, we cut a deal with pharma. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Well, Democrats have been promising to negotiate prices with pharma for decades, basically. Yeah. Um, and it it was almost becoming a running joke until this this past year. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so wait, so hold on. So let's just like uh, back all the way up for a second here, right? So we're here today, right, to talk about this uh, drug price negotiation, right? And we know that Medicare has actually been given the right to negotiate prices for 10 and only 10 brand name prescription drugs, right? So we're gonna get into the politics in a second, right? But for example, some people even on this podcast, maybe their only experience with drug price negotiations is haggling with the weed man. How would you We explain- won't say which one of those people <laughs> on the show it is. <laughs> how, how would you explain to that person? What does it actually mean that Medicare is gonna negotiate pharmaceutical prices? You're like, who does the negotiating and what does it actually mean for folks who depend on prescription drugs? Yeah, I think there's a lot in that question because we could go through like the really, really in the weeds details. But to be honest, that's not as important as a general understanding that it is as simple as it sounds, right? Pharma wants to be like, whoa, you can't, what are you going to do? Use your enormous purchasing power to (laughs) negotiate a better price? No, I don't think so. The whole thing (laughs) will come tumbling down. Like, it is just that. You're like, it's not more complicated. You're like, who buys the most drugs in the world? And you're like, Medicare. Why doesn't Medicare tell the companies, we're not going to pay more than this? We've looked into it. We've determined in the law called a maximum fair price. Mm -hmm. There's a process that determines that. And we're only going to pay that. And by the way, we're literally the only peer nation of the, of our, right? No peer nation of ours doesn't in some way set some sort of negotiating standard to say, this is all, this is the maximum we're going to pay. Mm-hmm. Only the US, we're unique in our getting ripped off by pharma. If the <laughs> magnitude is Every other country just looks at us and is like, what is wrong with them? <laughs> they don't even have health care and they pay the highest drug prices in the world. It's not like we believe in capitalism, you know, <laughs> right? Like the power of the market to determine prices and stuff like that, you know? Exactly. And the, like the same exact industry who's like, you can't do any regulation of this, whatever. And then they're like, Ex- except with pharma, we need you to one hunt. The only way our price will stay high is if we use a government protected patent. So on that case, when it makes the billionaire class just so much richer, mm-hmm. the amount of money mm-hmm. that we talk when we talk prescription drugs, it it boggles the mind. Uh, and that is one of the things that they count on is that the American people just cannot believe how bad they're getting ripped off. And just to sort of say what negotiation, I'll finish sort of this part. We, we can talk a little bit more about different versions of negotiation because um, there are stronger versions and less strong. In all policy, there's usually a set of dials. So it's like, how does this thing work? And then there's some intensity controls, right? So obviously, um, pharma through corruption, was able to insert 
lower dials, right? So it's like, and there are, you always do things sort of in a similar way in policies. So we knew how they were going to try. So obviously limiting the number of drugs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge thing that pharma was able to accomplish. Um, the question is how many drugs? And, you know, they're like, oh, my God, what do you want them to do? Negotiate on every drug, like just every year? And <laughs> who could even do that? And you're like, the VA does it right now <laughs> and is way smaller <laughs> than CMS, HHS that we're talking about. But yeah, I know who could and every other country, you know, they make the case, but really it's just about excluding as many drugs from a maximum fair price as possible. Then they do a temporal carve. So they say, you can't have it the whole time. You have to give us a window to rip you off mm-hmm. and then you can have a lower price, which obviously a common sense person's like, why? <laughs> why should we let you rip us off for some amount of time? And you're like, listen, there's really no reason other than they have so much money that they corrupt the whole system. But mm-hmm. they were aiming to kill it, right? So like they were always consistently aiming to kill it, not just water it down because the, the fact that the dials exist on an infrastructure So this is also an answer to your question of who does it? Well, it's a new part of the federal government whose mandate in CMS. And these are like the smartest wonks you'll meet, right? They run circles Mm. around me on my drug policy level of understanding. And that, you know, there is, you know, more, maybe that's why I'm like, let's do everything all the time. I know it's possible. <laughs> um, and they're like, do you know how much work it will be? And I'm like, ah, I don't care that much. Like, do more work. Um, we can hire more people with the savings if we need to. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a money printing right. machine, actually. Right. It, like, I'd love to push on that at some point, because this is one of the few things where it's like, oh, we can't have nice things because how are we going to pay for it? And you're like, no, 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 no. We can have nice things, lower drug prices, and we can use that to pay for other nice Everything. things, right? <laughs> like vision, hearing, and dental and in Medicare. Mm-hmm. The more we lower prices, the more money we have to spend on things. In the sort of insane way that DC budgeting works, that's just true. Negotiating drug more drug prices is a pay for. Um, so anyways... The infrastructure is real. These dials on it or these controls of intensity exist. There'll be intense lobbying, right? It it hasn't actually started yet. And every pharmaceutical corporation has sued to kill it before um, it starts, right? And the Biden administration is pursuing a really aggressive, I welcome their hatred sort of (laughs) stance on this, which is smart. Yeah, He did pick a fight with them and he won the fight. And he should be proud of it and be like, Ben, you said it. I mean, like, it was decades that Democrats were like, we will get to it next time. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and Biden did it. And I, I'm not going to, like, mm-hmm. give politicians an enormous attaboy for things. But I will be honest that when politicians do good things, they deserve praise. And sure. I'm like, I have seen pharma cow more politicians. I mean, the whole town bent to them Mm -hmm. in the Obama era where Biden was VP. So he heard this and he was in an administration that was that believed it. Right. So he saw the and heard all Mm -hmm. the arguments of the people who were like, we just can't take on pharma. They're too powerful. They'll kill us in with advertising money, et cetera, et cetera. 
which is the lie that they always tell. And that's why uh, the Obama administration cut a deal with pharma around Obamacare to not afraid of them. They were so afraid Mm -hmm. of them that they said, if we don't include negotiation in here, you won't attack Obamacare, which sort of in the mentality of D.C., what they were doing is they're like, we're going to aim at at big insurance and we can't actually take on big insurance at the same time as big pharma. But Medicare for all, we all know you actually have to take on big insurance, big pharma and big hospital all at the same time, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that's just the nature of the hydra of our system of wealth extraction. So anyways, Joe Biden did get it done. Medicare can negotiate drug prices. Sorry, just to clarify here, like right now, Medicare, they're about to enter into negotiations over 10 drugs. And I know that folks might think like, well, that's just 10 drugs or whatever. But that's actually a large percentage of Medicare's budget, right? These 10 drugs. Huge amounts. So this is also one of those like wonky policy things that's hard to believe but is just absolutely true is the small number of drugs that account for the enormous amount of spending on uh, Medicare Part D, which is the part that pays for prescription drugs, or that's where you find most of it. Not all of it. There's some in Part B, but most of the drugs is Part D. And so when you are talking about the top 20, the most expensive drugs, you're talking about the vast majority of the spending right. is on a small number. So it's number. a bigger win than it sounds like. Then it sounds right off the growth. bat. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I think and you're in talking coming about... years, right, it increases the number of drugs. Exactly. Yeah. So you have 10, you negotiate a maximum fair price on that the next year. I think, I think I have it right that it's 10, 10, 20, 20 on. So two years of 10 and then 20 each year. So you cover the top 20 pretty quickly And then actually, as it goes on, it's important that we keep doing it. New drugs come on the market, but you'll have actually squished a a lot of the excessive profiteering out in a smaller number of drugs than you sort of think. We should obviously do all drugs with no loopholes, right? Like that's just corruption, but it will deliver enormous savings somewhere like $10 billion a year. Nine, ten billion dollars wow. a year. So in DC parlance, you know that's ninety to a hundred billion dollars, which ironically is the same amount Jillian negotiated from her weed man last last <laughs> time <of> the week. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, slightly bigger that. scale. <laughs> no, and you were talking about patting the politicians on the back, but I think we should also pat us ourselves, the movement, on the back, because as you know, there was this first bill, the Build Back Better bill which looked like it was going to pass. It kind of made it through the House and then was this close in the Senate before being tanked by Senator Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, as we kind of all famously watched. But there was a lot of pressure. I think there was a lot of grassroots pressure that allowed the IRA to happen and almost made the Build Back Better happen. And, you know, as far as I know, a lot of this Medicare stuff was not in Biden's original vision for this kind of economic reform. And some of the, I think a lot of that did come from kind of Medicare for all movement and allied organizations. What are your like takeaways from that whole process of going to like a big expansive bill where we were going to get some dental vision hearing for Medicare? I think a much more expansive drug negotiation provision to what we eventually got, which is actually pretty spectacular, like you're talking about, but small scale compared to what we almost won, like came this close to winning, but. 
already we've done you should have reeled me in but now i'm like really reel me in or i'll just okay. go play by play of the Rant whole moment. thing and you're like <laughs> and actually to get where build back better starts on medicare negotiation you have to go one congress before and it's the fight over hr3 and that was when trump controlled the presidency and this was a speaker pelosi run house and there was this like we're going to figure out drug prices and there was a huge congress long two year long fight over the shape of that and again i can get into we should get into whatever details you want but the main thing is it was the difference between two wildly different strategies mine ours the one that's like no you should literally fight for exactly what you want right like fight for that and don't be like, oh, well, we might not get it. And you're like, yeah, that's obvious. But we'll definitely not get it if we go <laughs> with the other strategy, which is go over to, you know, the worst Democrats in the caucus and the best Republicans in their caucus and be like, hey, what would you guys come up with? Right. Um, right? And they're negotiating like, <laughs> against yourself, I think. Exactly. <laughs> right. But those were like the two visions, right? So it's aim high, aim low. And aim high is the only way you get anything done, anything that's meaningful. So we did get HR3 at the high level, at the high end. And the way we got it at the high end was by asking for more, right? Like, it, and it was brutal. That was one of the most brutal fights I've ever been in. And um, whew, DC. But we got it done, and then it starts at Build Back Better way high. And, you know, this is huge credit to Bernie Sanders, who was the one who was willing, as the chair of the budget committee, to take those hits from, you know, corporate media who are like, this is ridiculous. How would we ever do this? Mm -hmm. You know, and they're like, they don't want you to try to do anything, right? Because the pharma is who's running those ads in between the news that people mm -hmm. watch. Right. Um, and if you want to know who's the boss, look for who pays for it the thing and that's who mm -hmm. runs it so i do think that you have to have without like making it too dramatic but to be a, an activist which i am um and i've signed up for is to lose a lot right <laughs> you don't win a lot you in the fights you go into the fight knowing that you're gonna lose but you have to get into the fight because otherwise there's no chance that you will win and so the whole Build Back Better process was brutal, right? We fought for multiple pieces as well. So like we also fought for long-term care, obviously, as like a piece of Medicare for all. You know, we, we had $400 billion in there at one point to build a long-term care system or the base of a long-term care system. Like people's whole careers in D.C. were leading to that point to get long-term care. Like that was, it was, we were going to get it. And we got nothing, zero. The whole thing came out, right? And we didn't get vision, hearing, dental. Joe Manchin, I can't remember the stat off my head right now, but it's, it's so high that it's unbelievable the percentage of seniors in West Virginia who have no teeth. And it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And this is the guy who got dental out of Build Back Better. You know, like, why? Why? <laughs> what a piece of shit. If I'm an older person with no teeth in West Virginia right now, I'm just sitting around thinking, what a piece of shit. Why right. is this guy At least Kirsten Cinema changed party. Had yeah. the for <laughs> foresight to like get the fuck out. 
Although uh, <laughs> uh, Manchin also didn't oppose the drug price thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. He's a he's a weird dude. Cause like it seemed capriciously cruel to remove dental for him to do it, right? Like the Republicans were probably gonna get it done themselves, right? And because that's what they do. They're like, we have to hurt people. That's with the blood gods we pray to demand hurting people. <laughs> That's what I, I always make. I try to start the rumor that Mitch McConnell um, goes back to his office. Worshiper. Yeah, he opens a thing and he's like, and he's like, we have hurt millions today. <laughs> we do your work. And that's why his power is pretty remarkable. It's not a rumor if it's true. Yeah, that is, that is right. correct. The process was a whole bunch of losses because it was like, hey, we're going to spend $7 trillion, mm-hmm. which, right, that was the starting point. And then it goes down and down and down and down. But you start so high that stuff you get across the finish line, Still I don't know all good. of it, yeah. but like I can jump. Over. I know the Enviros are like, well, oh my God, right? Yeah. what a good way. We got that. Like that's the level of the, what Medicare negotiation is for people who've been fighting on drug prices it's like we have literally been fighting for this for i've been personally in dc for 15 years and like we won and it was all in one bill that was really seemingly messy uh the process was brutal but in the end president biden used his trifecta when the democrats controlled the house the senate and the white house in this incredibly thin majority in the Senate, an even Senate. And you have to remember, Barack Obama had 60 at one point. He had a filibuster, a filibuster proof majority. It wasn't made up of all people who agree with us, but I mean, like what you were working with. So I think what the Inflation Reduction Act got basically across the board is not nearly sufficient for what we're up against at the same time as it is remarkable and fantastic of what we were able to get and as a starting point for reversing. You know, it's like he uh, President Biden walked a picket line today, a UAW picket line mm-hmm. today. And mm-hmm. you're like, that's definitely not going to stop the consolidated power right. of big <laughs> money. And it is a remarkable thing that we should praise mm-hmm. because no one's ever stood with workers against the bosses in yeah. a contract negotiation before. I feel like this is like a good slogan for America. Like, uh, insufficient is remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) So, Alex, well, I had two questions. One is a total digression, so we shouldn't go too far down the road on it. But uh, speaking of the the blood gods and the Republicans, I remember that Florida, under Ron DeSantis, passed this law demanding that they be given permission to import drugs from Canada as part of their... GOP vision for reducing drug costs. Are they aware of what that means? <laughs> Can you explain it to me? And I think Trump was also toying with something like this for the whole country and was starting to like move the ball on, on importation from Canada, which is basically like, let's let Canada negotiate drug prices for us. And then we'll uh, spend some extra shipping costs and get them back. But it's one thing that Trump knows is outsourcing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So his his policy, like there's a bunch there, but his policy was so dumb and he understood the politics of low drug prices, though. You know, like he said, uh, he understood the po- he understands the politics of Social Security. He still says, I'm not going to cut your Social Security. When he was president, he tried to cut our Social Security and he did 
cut benefits or restrict benefits. So like we know uh, like the character of the man, but his policy was stupider than just it was than importation. He was like other countries pay too little and they should pay more. <laughs> if, and you're like, oh, so close. It's actually mm-hmm. other countries oh, pay hey, less. This is Trump, not Trump, DeSantis, Trump, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, Trump. Right, right. Yeah. You almost um, got it, bro. And, um, <laughs> but then DeSantis, I do think, understands, and he was looking at Trump, you know, the, the messaging around drug pricing. He understands the saliency of it. He understands that uh, Florida has an enormous number of seniors that a lot of people already use the what's called the personal importation loophole to actually, you know, improve their lives by getting around the violence that our system's inflicting on them with high prices by just going and importing. They go to you can go to Mexico, you can go to Canada, you can legally get your prescriptions um, in border states, especially so not Florida. But in border states, especially, there's bus trips um, that are organized by churches because. Oh this yeah, is... absolutely. Sorry, I live in Texas. That's, this is the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it rises up to the level of state government because state governments have to balance their budgets, uh, and state governments look at the drug expenditure in their books, and they're like, "What the fuck is that? Um, it's so bad that Utah." This is true. Utah one time subsidized their public employees to fly to Mexico (laughs) to get drugs and fly back because it was still cheaper than paying the prices here. And then because this is the uh, I'm I'm not going to do it like total justice, but it's sort of the evolution of this thing called the personal importation loophole. And it's been a loophole for so long that it's basically codified now. And not only do people and churches, uh, but now state governments are also using this. And that's what Ron DeSantis um, was talking about. And it's not just Ron DeSantis. The governor of Colorado, who's a Democrat, whose name will uh, return to me in a second, he also is working on it. But the states of Colorado and Florida are saying we should be able to import drugs. And they legally they can. Absolutely. Um, They don't even need to use the loophole. They have the legal states have the legal ability to do this. The federal government has a decision. They can either fight the states in doing that or not fight the states in doing that. And that's sort of what the what it's about. And there is a ton of progress being made um, by Colorado and Florida. And as soon as the uh, you know, as soon as all 50 states import, the one thing is. It's unfortunate that a lot of the emphasis is on importing from Canada because Canada is the second highest drug prices right. in the, in the right. world. <laughs> and like the in reason, so many things, Canada is like second wait, worst in the world. Wait, right. no, no, no. Hold on. So wait, so that's really true? It's uh, the Canadian drug prices aren't even really good? They're the second highest drug price. In fact, oh. it's, un- it's unfair to Canada because the reason their drug prices are so fault. high <laughs> is because they're next to us. And if, <laughs> right. if we just import from them, pharma can just increase their prices. So right. um, mm-hmm. it, it is a, a small benefit because as soon as they do that, we'll be like, see, that's why we say the, the correct policy is not just from Canada. It's just full parallel importation, meaning that you if it's a if it's FDA approved from an FDA approved uh, factory, right, the exact same drug, um, wherever you find that drug, you can import it just like you can cabbage or a lettuce. And in fact, there's a lot more safety restrictions on importing um, prescription drugs from Mexico, say, than lettuce, which kills people with E. coli outbreaks on a pretty regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like 
The idea that this is unsafe is it's not bananas. It's just corruption, right? It's just right. pharma <laughs> making the government again act as their their knee breaker and to a very money. roundabout solution when we can actually negotiate drugs on our own if we so choose and that is all it is you said it right like all you're doing is you're not importing the drug you're not even import you are importing the price but what you're really doing is importing the other government's ability to negotiate right. a lower price. <laughs> exactly and so you're like you know we could just pay less here right. too. <laughs> so I, I hesitate to even ask you this question alex because it's it's so patently ridiculous but we know that big pharma's answer to all this and their public messaging what they do in advertising when they're speaking out you know not behind closed doors is that if we negotiate lower drug prices it'll be terrible for humanity because they need all that money to fund research and development for life-saving drugs like the COVID vaccines. So I ask you, true or false? Yeah, totally false. It's worse than false too, because it's basically the opposite of what happens. So as long as the whole system is set up to rip off the public as hard as possible, on what they call blockbusters, right? So they create one drug and it, and it could have an immense benefit for humanity. But the idea is, okay, now we're gonna, we're gonna spend all of our money on research and innovation at how do we extend the patent uh, on that drug? How do we protect the monopoly? So they invent amazing things, the most amazing sophisticated ripoffs you've ever seen using the US patent system. But that does not incentivize at all looking for drugs that have the greatest public health benefit, um, right? It actually does the opposite of that. It, it only incentivizes looking for drugs with the greatest private gain. Um, so when we actually uh, drive decisions with public health, then you are not just developing seven different Viagras, right? The companies don't just create mirror images of the same drugs to extract maximum profit, um, you are basing research because at the research level, which is funded by the taxpayers, we pay for it all. Um, and they don't even pay for a ton. They don't pay anything for basic research. They don't pay a ton into late stage research is still paid for by the U.S. taxpayer. What they do is they get given the patent with no restrictions and to charge as much as they want. And those decisions are driven entirely by profit maximization, right? Like which patents to take, not at all by public health um, need. So when we actually, I hate to use this term, but I don't have another one, like rationalize the system um, so that it is actually driven by delivering public health benefit and not, you know, like the, the goal of the pharmaceutical patent system right now, seemingly is to deliver as much money to corporations as possible, no matter what, right? Not even with like a second clause that said, while also delivering, you know, health to the people, AKA, you know, the Oxycontin um, or the Purdue pharma uh, pharmaceuticals, right? Like literally perpetrating harm at industrial scale and being like, the government shouldn't get in the way of that. You're like, the government's entire job is to get right. in the way of that. Um, yeah. So their right. arguments are not just false. They're also, they serve a great purpose of, of pulling people off of 
the true understanding that high prices don't, uh, they don't just, you know, make innovation affordable, which is what pharma say, or possible, right? Like without these high drug prices, we'll never have good innovation. It's actually the high prices stifle real innovation. Mm. Um, so it's the opposite of what they say. Right. Um, and to, to drill down, you were talking about what they call Me Too drugs, which is where, you know, they, they spent a lot of time researching, developing drugs that do exactly the same thing that existing drugs do, but they can repatent them, which means their monopoly lasts longer. Um, and as far as I understand, they are not required to prove that their new drug is any better than the older drug that does the same exact thing. So they're, sometimes they're not compared at all one-to-one. -one, and the only way they get people to use them is by intensive advertising and marketing blitzes of doctors and patients. Or that, just uh, cooking the books and actually like pulling the old one from market. Oh, um, yeah, lovely. <laughs> right. And otherwise making it very difficult. You know, they can mm -hmm. negotiate direct deals with CVS, you know, mm. the third largest company in the country. Everyone thinks of them as like cuddly and you're like, oh, no, they're, they're evil. evil. <laughs> and they make most of their money on their pharmacy benefit manager, mm. which is just, you know, backroom deals cut. Mm. So mm. the Me Too drugs is like, Let's focus there, Alex, because I wanted to go off on other ones. But uh, the Me Too drugs is exactly what you said, Ben. And like oftentimes there's no clinical significant improvement, right? It's, it's literally just the molecule with a piece of carbon attached to it so that right. they can be under the rules of the patent system. They can be like, oh, see, this is novel. It's got another carbon so here. It's like Viagra, oh, right. now with carbon. Now, yeah, yeah, and exactly. you can actually, I was shocked to find out, uh, you can repatent a drug even if it's the same exact drug for a new purpose. So like they repatented Prozac for like post-menstrual, you know, just like really, you know, they're like, oh, it's the same exact drug, but we're gonna get a new patent on it for a new purpose. Yeah, that, um, like, that's the same drug. They, <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they actually have to pretend that it was for that purpose the whole time. Okay. Um, so like in the, when they try wow. to do They're it, they're not they trying very hard. <laughs> they don't say like, oh, we discovered a new thing. They're like, oh no, um, I think the last one that was, it was so ridiculous, it was thrown out was uh, Pravastatin, right? Like the most widely known drug is a statin for cholesterol. And they're like, oh, actually it's for mental health. And they tried to get this exclusion because if you get even a month, you're talking billions of dollars on blockbusters. If you get more years, you're talking tens, hundreds of billions of dollars, like one single drug um, can produce as much profits as an entire Fortune 500 company, right? Like Humira is actually bigger than an enormous num of the f number of the Fortune 500 companies. So, so the magnitude is so huge that they do, this is what I was talking about, like you wanna see some innovation and lying. <laughs> like look at, at how they try to extend their patent monopolies, their monopoly pricing. So. The key thing here is that you can just count on it. If their lips are moving, they're lying. Like you should, <laughs> you should really be like, okay, well, if this was a person, if this pharma company was a person and I knew for a fact that they killed people with their policies, <laughs> right? Like I knew like with insulin manufacturers, like I know that they kill people knowingly with their policies. Like if that same person was then like, Hey, here's something that I promise you. Would you would you be like, oh, okay? I bet you you're gonna be 
okay, yeah, you're probably going to be a good guy right now. Like why we can't, I call it the decency problem. Americans uh, in general are very decent people. They have a really hard time believing um, that say like the CEO of a company is as sociopathic or yeah. as, as they are. They're like, ah, I don't think they really kill people with high prices. You're like, they do. No, but seriously, like they Jeffrey do. Dahmer, big pharma CEOs, same people. Oh, so I wanted to take a second here to talk about, um, you know, we know big pharma is making all this money. And one of the things they're doing with it is getting into bed with uh, some of our politicians. And I wanted to just mention Bob Menendez, who is a New Jersey senator. Um, I'm from New Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl. I love some Jersey drama. And he's just indict been indicted on federal bribery charges. And so this is interesting, not just because I'm obsessed with hating this guy, but also because Menendez is like well known as like the pharma darling in the Democratic Party. He's made it like single-handedly made it difficult to win any reforms like drug price negotiations. And now we may be getting rid of him. But I, I guess this led me in general to think about like on Capitol Hill in general about the relationship between big pharma and politicians and, and kind of how that works. Yeah. Oh, man, there's so much there, because uh, first off, Bob Menendez is like the cartoon <laughs> version of political corruption. Like if Looney Tunes were like drawing a character, they'd, they'd, they'd be like, no, nah, that, that's too much. No one will believe that. <laughs> Gold bars? Like, come on, yeah. he's cartoonish. He's like, da, 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 da. you can hear some music behind his corruption. So. First off, the pharmaceutical industry is enormous in New Jersey. Um, and so they wield a tremendous amount of power politically, both at the state level and the federal level. And Bob Menendez definitely danced to whatever tune they were calling. He was he was their guy. Court Senator Cory Booker broke a lot of that. Uh, people give him a lot of uh, shit sometimes. I've just seen it. But I've also worked with him where when he turned and said, I'll never accept pharma money. That was an enormous moment because they're very endangered. They're very rare. Um, pharma Dems used to have an enormous amount of sway. Well, you're talking a significant portion of the uh, House Democratic Caucus and, you know, a huge amount of Democratic senators because in the 90s, um, the dumb old 90s, the overreaction to Reagan era, the Democrats were like, Maybe we should just get corrupt. You know, maybe that's the <laughs> only way we can beat corruption. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it was like, and you're like, no, don't. Good, good idea. <laughs> and and they sort of, so pharma was one of the industries that was sort of a democratic industry, armament, extractive industries were Republican. Mm -hmm. A lot of a lot healthcare of, industries. Like, right. Yeah. And pharma was definitely one of them. Um, yeah. But, and I worked in when it was like, you know, fully on board and the Democrat, it, they were sort of bulletproof. We would try to, hit them on stuff. And they were like, yeah, whatever. We like pharma. And then slowly <laughs> over time, again, it's really Medicare for all and guaranteed healthcare. You know, people who've been in the trenches fighting this over time just made their money so toxic and explained it to people. And pharma is so terrible that they are their own worst enemies, right? Like they do the things that people hate. Mm, so mm. over time, that really has shifted. And uh, uh, Menendez level pharma dem, I, I think, is um, a very rare political breed these days. Like Scott Peters was Kurt Schrader, Scott mm -hmm, Peters mm -hmm. um, and Kathleen Rice were the three big pharma dems in the House that 
really did do some significant damage to the policy. And so Kurt Schrader primaried Kathleen Rice out of government. Scott Peters is still there, but we definitely, he did not get the chair of the new Dems because the Pharma Dem brand is dying. You can read about that. Um, that's what t- tanked his, you know, where he thought he'd go. And I, I have a long memory, so I'm just, we'll get him next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that even after COVID, we, we kind of worried on this at Healthcare Now that d- development of the vaccines would see kind of a bounce back of public support for pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And there was a little bit of public opinion stuff at the time we saw, but a Gallup poll from this year said that the pharmaceutical industry is ranked dead last in public opinion polls of all industries. Yep. And 60% of people describe their view of the pharmaceutical industry as quote, totally negative. And that ranks them below lawyers, the PR and ad industries and bankers. Yeah, uh, they didn't have the health insurance industry in there. So no way to compare exactly apples to apples. But <laughs> that's what my the video in front of pharma. That's what I was doing. I was right. just being like, I was just like, hey, if you just ask random people on the sidewalk, right. nine out of 10 hate you. Yeah. <laughs> so I will say that Menendez, the corrupt, like cartoonishly corrupt, the important thing is that legal corruption is so legal in this country that you have to be really corrupt to need to take gold <laughs> bars, right? right. Because yeah. the whole Republican caucus, 100% of it, that's not true. Grassley minus like some percentage. Um, but basically, when, the, when it comes down to it, by votes, 100% of votes are going to be pro pharma. And that's all legal, right? They don't need to deliver Mm -hmm. bags of money or anything. They do it all through campaign contributions, running ads, right? All of the system we've built um, so that politics bends the need to money. So it's 100% of Republicans. And it used to be a sizable percentage of Democrats. Now it's totally the opposite. And the pharma Dems are like gone because the most frontline, which is what the the Democrats running in the most Republican districts, so the ones that are most likely to lose their seats, um, they are the ones who run hardest on drug right. prices. Mm-hmm. It took them a long time, I think, to believe us and not the consultants. But like, they definitely, they're like, oh my God, everyone loves high drug prices. I can go everywhere. <laughs> uh, and, and always, you know, whatever's happening, you're like, that's an interesting point. Pharma is terrible, and the whole room will be like, "Yeah." <laughs> so, so that's the evolution. Is that and that's a really significant development for Medicare for all, because probably that had to happen in the Democratic Party in Congress for Medicare for all to have a chance down the road. I think that's right, and because it shows also that these unbeatable monsters are beatable. And this is what I I sort of, I think I started with so I can end with, and I can explain what I mean. When FDR was fighting concentrated money in the creation of the New Deal, you know, Francis Perkins, my hero, and he takes on some enormously powerful moneyed interests. And they're like, you know, he's running for reelection and they're like, hey, what do you, what about the banks and the monopolists and all of them? And he says, I welcome their hatred. And it was such a flex, you know, he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it was maybe one of the first times that someone really got that right. Because then when they attacked him, mm-hmm. what people are like, yeah, well, I hate those guys and they hate <laughs> this guy. So that guy must be my guy. Right. <laughs> that is I welcome their hatred. So it's like, yeah, you can be scared of pharma attacking you. 
Or you can be like, I wear that as a badge of honor. The reason pharma is supporting my opponent is because my opponent is going to work to keep your drug prices high. That is the political reality. And that's what Democrats um, should and, and are running on. So that is a, a really important development, I think, for Medicare for all, for you know, affordable drug prices, for all of this. All right, last question, and we'll wrap this up. I mean, how would Medicare for all kind of change the power dynamics in Washington around the, the drug industry, broadly speaking? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like picturing a new day, you know, yes. like <laughs> the whole system would stop being a wealth extractant right now. Like I started when I read that National Geographic's article about migrant workers and how they were held in a form of bondage by their health being held over them. That's what the bosses have on the American people right now. They hold control of a spigot of our health. Uh, and they're extortionists. They're like mobsters, right? They're like, oh, you want to live? Well, you better give me your paycheck. $20,000 a year for a thing I called health insurance. See? Right? And you're like, well, what do I get? And they're like, nothing and like it. So if that is done away with, you can't do anything bigger. If you can beat, and Medicare for all does, pharma, hospital, and insurance at the same time, and actually create a system. And it's like, it sounds like, oh, that's impossible. Literally every other country, peer country of ours um, has done it. So mm -hmm. like, it's, it's not only possible, we have like multiple roadmaps on how to actually do it. And so, yeah, the magnitude of Medicare for all would be if Medicare negotiation, which is like pretty amazing. And I will say, it's not going to do everything that we want, right? That's sure. what it is. It's like, if you're not on Medicare, your drug prices aren't going to go down anytime exactly. soon. Yeah. Americans mm -hmm. still pay the highest drug prices in the world. We still get ripped off for drugs that we pay to develop. Mm -hmm. Medicare for all ends all of that for everybody right away. And so there's no goal of what we're fighting for with all of these pieces, including Medicare negotiation, is Medicare for all. And we have to always have that as our North Star as we're fighting for it. Uh, and then we can ask, you know, is this thing getting us closer? And I do think Medicare negotiation, although not everything, is a significant step closer. Yeah. And it's both politically closer, like what we we're talking about, kind of driving a wedge between pharma and Congress, but also policy closer. Like we would literally have to have the federal government on a large scale negotiating drug prices for Medicare for all. And it's easier when we're already kind of doing it for a massive federal program like Medicare. So that's awesome. Thank you so much. I actually learned a ton. I didn't know, especially around the state stuff, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us. Very interesting. I'm excited to see how these fights go. I hope all those lawsuits go down in flaming train wrecks and car wrecks that where they're trying to win in the courts. And we will obviously stay on top of this. So uh, I want to thank the podcast team without whom we could not make this whole uh, podcast. Our podcast manager is Angelique Davis. Our show notes writer was Jerry Katz and our audio editor was Christian Brandt. Don't forget to like this episode and subscribe to the Medicare for All podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And the show is a project of the Healthcare Now Education Fund. If you want to support our work, you can donate at our website, healthcare-now.org. Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Stay dangerous. Thanks, all.